This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the governor drops a bomb on the Florida Coalition Against Domestic Violence. He's ordered an investigation. The House has subpoenaed more than a dozen current or former employees. And on the Sunrise interview, you'll hear from the senator whose bill would eliminate the coalition's no-bid deal with the state. Republicans in the House continue to play one of their favorite legislative games. It's called Pin the Tail on the Union. Donald Trump is coming to Florida this weekend to hang with the NASCAR crowd. He'll be attending the Daytona 500. A House committee passes a bill to close the loophole that allows fishers from other countries to circumvent the ban on shark finning and sell their products through Florida ports on their way to Asian markets. We'll also have your calendar of events and the latest on Florida man, Florida woman, and for the first time, Florida granny. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day. Governor Ron DeSantis has ordered his inspector general to investigate the Florida Coalition Against Domestic Violence, which hands out almost $50 million worth of tax money every year to 42 domestic violence shelters in the state. Representative Thomas Leake chairs the Public Integrity Committee in the House. He says they have finally received documents from the coalition that raise all sorts of red flags, including millions of dollars that went to Tiffany Carr, the executive director of the coalition who resigned last year. For 20 months, the coalition stonewalled us and refused to give the department uh, information. Today, we have some of that information in hand. However, despite the fact that they promised that they would give us the information and cooperate with us, it appears now that they have changed course. As of yesterday, we were dealing with lawyers who promised that the board of directors was going to resign and that all information would be given to us unredacted. Last night, we received about 104,000 documents, which we are still processing and beginning to go through. We yesterday were told by the lawyers that it appears that the executive compensation over a three-year period of time was somewhere in the neighborhood of $7 million. Those lawyers are no longer on the case. Uh, they have resigned, and new lawyers are in place. The, uh, the contracted representative for the coalition has also resigned last night. The only people remaining on the job are the very board of directors that we've asked to resign. Representative Escamoni. Could you remind the body how much your committee suspects Tiffany Carr was paid annually? Representative Leake. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. That it was a bit of a moving target. Uh, there are 990 forms that indicate at one point she was being paid in excess of $300,000 a year. That number rose to approximately $750,000 a year. However, there was also compensation outside of the, the salary, including uh, PTO, paid time off, uh, and started at about 80 days a year, uh, grew to about 210 days per year of paid time off. But yes, that's what the initial review of the records have indicated. The House has issued subpoenas to Tiffany Carr and 13 others who worked for the coalition. Over in the Senate, a subcommittee has approved a bill eliminating the law that gives the coalition exclusive rights to distribute money for domestic violence shelters. Senator Kathleen Pasadomo says those shelters are blameless. In fact, they were victims of the money grab at the top. The shelters themselves are doing a fantastic job around the state. People should understand and appreciate that this was uh, almost an administrative um, problem and not in service delivery. And I have no doubt that the uh, shelters that are around the state are going to continue to provide the service that they have been, been given, uh, no matter who is the administrator. Lawmakers are worried the legal turmoil at the coalition could hurt the shelters. But Tony Lloyd at the Department of Children and Families assured them that will not happen. 
I want you to be assured of that from the secretary, from the governor. Um, our focus is on the no break in continuity of services for the survivors, period. Um, and we will accomplish that. Um, this is fast moving, uh, but I can tell you uh, we have all hands on deck at headquarters right now. There are several things. You know, there's 42 shelters. There's about 180 contracts. Uh, we're putting together basically a strike team of, of procurement folks, of policy folks, and, uh, and obviously our attorneys are involved. Uh, what we want to do in whatever time frame we need to get it done in uh, is put together a team that's going to be able to transition uh, at least temporarily those direct service providers to probably contract with, directly with the department um, with an eye toward how we go about maybe reprocuring in the future. Um, but in the interim, whether that's uh, days or weeks um, that we have to get this turned around, um, we're prepared to do that. Uh, we want no break in service for the survivors. And once all the dust is settled and the finances are revealed, Senator Gary Farmer says the state should try to get that money back. All this is happening because the coalition had an exclusive no-bid contract written into state law. And Senator Aaron Bean has a bill to fix that. He's our guest later in the show for the Sunrise Interview. The State Affairs Committee in the Florida House approves HB1 by Representative Jamie Grant that takes aim at public employee unions in the Sunshine State. House Bill 1 represents an effort to um, strengthen the balance between, between sometimes two competing rights. Uh, obviously, the right to collectively bargain uh, is in our state constitution on behalf of our state employees. It's a right that, that matters. Uh, similarly, we are a, a right-to-work state. Uh, and so this, this legislation is an attempt to try and uh, make sure that we continue striking the right balance, uh, between those two competing rights. Uh, in its current form, members, uh, it does require a public employee who desires uh, to join an employee organization to sign a membership authorization form. Before somebody has some of their paycheck deducted, uh, we ought to make sure that they want to have their paycheck deducted. The form must acknowledge that Florida is a right-to-work state and that union membership is not required, provide that a union membership and payment of dues and assessments is voluntary, and that employees may not be discriminated against if he or she refuses to join. It requires an employee organization to revoke employee's membership upon the employee's written request. That is, when an employee no longer wants to have part of, its, uh, part of his or her uh, paycheck deducted, uh, that they can notify and, and have that deduction stop. It states that dues and uniform assessments may not be deducted from an employee's salary until the employer receives signed authorizations for such deductions. Again, before a deduction of a, uh, a, a paycheck happens, the employer ought to be able to rely on uh, a documentation uh, that the employee wants to have that deduction, and it provides that deductions uh, are enforced uh, or enforced for one year uh, and must be reauthorized annually. Union members showed up in force to oppose the bill. Beverly Glenn is a transit worker and says she's fed up with lawmakers bad-mouthing unions. And I wasn't going to speak, but then I sit here and I listen to all the untruthness when it comes about union, okay? Unions are there to protect employees, okay, all the time. So we make sure when they sign up for the union, we ask you, can you afford it? If you can't afford it, it's no loss, you know? It's not hurting the union, it's hurting the people because the people are not able to have their voices, okay? And every employee that is in a bargaining unit, they get to vote just like we do, okay? Nobody is discriminated against, everybody get to vote because the state of Florida made that happen for us, okay? They said we didn't have to be in the union to be able to get the bargaining rights, okay? so. When you sit here and you tell me that I don't have the knowledge to know to sign up for a union, if I want it, I'm going to do it, okay? No one has a right to tell me what type of organization I want to be a part of. That's my 
right as a being a, a citizen of the United States of America. Candelaria Ortiz is a bus driver in Orlando, and he believes lawmakers are treating them more or less like children. It is my constitutional right to choose whether I want to be in a union or not. I don't need nobody to tell me I should get into this, I should get into that. The union is here to protect us, okay? Because at the long run, with this bill, the one who's going to suffer are the working people. What this bill is trying to make us out to be is like, we don't know what we're doing. We are all adults here. We have the right to choose. And this bill, in the long run, will hurt the American working people. Rich Templin with the Florida AFL-CIO says the original version of the bill was dreamed up by a conservative think tank that is part of a nationwide effort to hobble unions. Those supporting the bill are industry groups, think tanks, right-wing think tanks, sorry, that's the wrong word, but more conservative think tanks, and then a billionaire-funded think tank that's not even in Florida. And then a lot of folks have said, well, you know, these aren't really related, it's just a coincidence. I want to inform you that the exact legislation that is currently pending in the Senate and legislation that is very similar to the, to the House version as originally filed was just filed in uh, Kansas and Missouri for their sessions. They're almost exact. And then if you go into their appropriate areas, you see that there are lobbyists registered with the Mackinac Center, as we're in the room today, uh, lobbying uh, that same issue. So now this is a, this is a big change, and I, I think that Chair Grant is absolutely correct. This is not the original Mackinac Center cookie cutter bill that it started as, but that's what is at play here, is a lot of groups, a lot of people that have an ideological bent against working people who, who just want to do their jobs. They just want to do their jobs, they just want to be a part of their union, and they just want to make sure that their families are protected. No one actually attacked Representative Grant during the meeting, but after the testimony was done, he tried to sound more like a victim. Let's at least demand that, that truth and substance drive instead of character assassinations and misrepresentations. I can take it. I'm not offended by the fact that people attack my integrity or my character. I'm offended on behalf of this institution and the state we represent that significant policy decisions would be made on such gross misrepresentations and self-serving testimony. This isn't about membership. It's about money. And you either put the employee's money first or you put the union's money first. This is about money, not memberships to some people. And I'd suggest we put the public employee's money first. Grant's bill passed by a vote of 12 to 7 and is headed for the House floor. The ultimate Florida man will be at Florida's ultimate race this weekend. Donald Trump will be attending the Daytona 500 Sunday and will likely be joined by the governor and first lady. The U.S. Secret Service says it is securing the Daytona 500 by establishing a 30-mile no-drone zone around the racetrack. And when the president flies in for the race on Sunday, the FAA will ground all the planes at DeLand Municipal Airport. A bill to ban the sale, import, and export of shark fins in Florida clears its final House committee despite concerns over how Florida can protect legal shark fishers from losing a big part of their business. Shark finning is illegal in Florida and federal waters, but Representative Aaron Grawl says hauling a boat full of shark fins to a Florida port for sale and export overseas is not. In 2012, Florida lawmakers saw the wisdom of protecting a vital part of Florida's coastal tourism economy and banned the terrible practice known as shark finning. 
However, there's a loophole, and currently Florida law allows shark fins to be legally exported, and in doing so, the law provides a mechanism by which illegally obtained fins can legally exit the state. To date, 13 states have enacted laws banning the sale, import, and export of shark fins. As a result, Florida ports have become a major hub for the transport of these ill-gotten fins for shipment to China. Miami is now the nation's top importer of shark fins. The House State Affairs Committee approved an amended version of HB 401 to shut down the use of Florida ports by international shark fin dealers, but that amendment would affect legal Florida fishermen. So the bill was altered to give them five more years in business before it affects them. Next up on the Sunrise Interview, we talk with a state senator who filed a bill to eliminate a sweetheart deal in state law for the Florida Coalition Against Domestic Violence. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. We all know that guy who says he knew Trump was going to win long before election night. Had he known about Predict It, he could have put his money where his mouth was and made a little extra cash in the process. Predict It is like the stock market for politics. You can buy and sell shares in future events and elections, both foreign and domestic. During the 2018 midterms, Predict It beat other national pollsters like Nate Silver in election night predictions, and it wasn't even close. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. He said, she said listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. Welcome back to Sunrise. Our guest today is State Senator Aaron Bean of Fernandina Beach, who was, shall we say, ahead of the curve. One week before the start of the legislative session, he filed a bill to crack down on financial abuses at the Florida Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Now that the governor has ordered an investigation and the House has subpoenaed more than a dozen persons who used to work there, Senate Bill 1482 and Senator Bean are in the spotlight. I've had a bill uh, for a few months now that takes domestic violence, the Florida coalition, out of statute. They're listed in statute, and it really ties our hands with uh, with options in supporting the 42 domestic violence centers around our state. So holy mackerel, holy mackerel uh, is the words I will use to describe the breaking news of some of the failed leadership and the, the, uh, the I guess it's just, you know, the uh, disappointment in using the limited resources that we have in our state to uh, not be directed towards the service as we thought they were. So I'm going to be presenting a bill that will uh, remove them from from statutes and give DCF the, the power either A, to uh, go to bid, to competitively procure a new contract to, uh, to provide these services and, and support to the 42 uh, centers, but also do it in a transparent way that we know when we give them uh, between the federal and state monies $46 million dollars that the bulk of that money goes directly where it needs to go, where it should be going, which is the uh, victims of domestic violence to give them the support they need to put their lives back together. Was the salary of the chief executive the most onerous part? There's several things. Well, the most onerous part is when you do business with the government, you have to get financially naked. You have to be transparent. You have to show uh, everything and anything. And the first sign uh, that we've seen with this particular entity is they refuse to share any financial documents or or uh, or honor the request of the department to for for simple documents. Hey, where's the money going? What's going on? And they use the cover that we're a, we're we're a private organization and we don't have to share anything. So that was the uh, the uh, the original red flag. Uh, we knew there was an exorbitant salary, but. Uh, 
but but now uh, of the revelations of of how things were were being played out, it's still breaking right now of information. I'm I've just received three letters that the governor has done. One to the inspector general, get over there and let's check things out. One to Chad Popple, Secretary Popple, let's make sure that there's no interruption of service. And to Speaker Oliva and to President Galvano, let's get this Bean Bill passed ASAP. It's uh, one of those things where uh, we got to get it done. Bean's bill passed a Senate subcommittee with a unanimous vote Thursday as the scandal was unfolding in the Capitol. Your schedule of events? Well, it's a short one. The Florida Senate has scheduled a floor session beginning at 10. The House has nothing scheduled until Tuesday. The Florida Board of Chiropractic Medicine will meet at the Rosen Plaza Hotel in Orlando starting at 8.30. The State Acquisition and Restoration Council meets at 9 in Tallahassee to approve an annual work plan for the Florida Forever Conservation Program. The Florida Department of Economic Opportunity will continue a series of workshops in the Panhandle about developing a state action plan to use federal funds for continued Hurricane Michael restoration efforts. They meet at 9 o'clock in Panama City and again at 3 in Quincy. At 10, the Office of Insurance Regulation will hold a hearing on a request by the National Specialty Insurance Company to raise property insurance rates for homeowners. And lobbyists face a Friday deadline for filing reports that show compensation during the period from October 1st through December 31st. Next up, the continuing adventures of Florida Man, featuring something new, Florida Gran. Police in St. Petersburg say they found guns and drugs in the bedroom of a Florida grandmother. 64-year-old Serena Weston has an apartment on the seventh floor of a senior housing complex. Officers found seven pounds of marijuana, four handguns, and numerous magazines and bullets hidden in her bedroom closet and a safe under the bed. She denies it, but investigators say she was allowing two of her sons to hide their stash in her apartment. Her sons are among 11 suspects arrested in the drug trafficking case. Finally, a Florida woman and Florida man are busted during a traffic stop after a Brevard County deputy says he spotted drug paraphernalia hidden in a child's diaper. 44-year-old James Baster was pulled over for speeding and did not have a license. A short time later, 36-year-old Jesse Norton arrived carrying a small child with her. The deputy says Baster slipped or something. The officer says he spotted a cut straw and a small green baggie hidden in the child's diaper. Both tested positive for methamphetamine residue. She's facing a felony charge of child neglect and possession of paraphernalia he's charged with driving on a suspended license. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again on Tuesday as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. No podcast Monday, thanks to President's Day. (laughs) 